Good evening. I'm so glad you could be with us tonight as we look together at the Eighth Commandment. We've been looking through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and we're now in the series on the Ten Commandments, and we'll be looking at questions 73 to 75, which I'll read and ask you to respond to. You'll see the words on your screen. And then we'll look at a couple of scripture texts. What is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is you shall not steal. What does the Eighth Commandment require? The Eighth Commandment requires that we lawfully acquire and increase our own and others' money and possessions. What does the Eighth Commandment forbid? The Eighth Commandment forbids anything that either does, does or may unjustly take away money or possessions from us or anyone else. And then our two texts for this evening will be Exodus 20, verse 15, in Ephesians 4, verse 28. Exodus 20, 15 says, you shall not steal. And Ephesians 4, 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us through your word, and we pray that you would be our teacher tonight. Open our, open our minds by your Holy Spirit that we might see both our own sin, that we might experience your grace, and that we might be renewed and transformed to live according to your will as we follow you together. Bless our time in your word this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we're going to be honest, we need to admit that all of us struggle. We have heart issues in obeying the Eighth Commandment. Now, active theft is only one part of the issue. We do have issues with stealing. Perhaps some of us frequently use paid online services that we borrow from our friends. Perhaps we use creativity in submitting our timesheets or our expense reports to our employer. Perhaps we make some use of uh, company property and time for personal purposes. Perhaps an occasional more brazen acquisition of property or assets belonging to someone else, but there was a reason for that. It was a long time ago. It was a unique situation. It's interesting to note that we actually have a threshold by which theft becomes acceptable. You can see it in all the heist genre movies, right? If the person has ludicrous amounts of money, or if they acquired it through illegal or inappropriate means, then actually it's appropriate in our cultural thinking to steal from them. But really, all these issues are a manifestation of a heart issue. So let's think about what's at the heart of theft. Well, first, there's desire, an overwhelming desire to possess something. Now, that's going to be related to coveting, and that's the 10th commandment, so we'll leave most of that thought to the sermon that will come in a couple of weeks. But there's a kind of desire that becomes so strong that we believe we must possess that thing now, which leads to the second heart issue, impatience. I want something 
and I want it now. In our current culture, it's very difficult to get something tomorrow when a certain distribution company says, well, we'll get it in two days and it comes in four days. We don't know what to do with ourselves. We want it now. I want it right now. I can't wait for a week or a month or five years. That's ridiculous. Or towards interpersonal issues of the heart. Disrespect. The person who possesses the thing we want, well, they're obviously a bad person. They've acquired it inappropriately or we're just not interested in their concerns. And so somehow we feel it's appropriate to reappropriate their things because we disrespect them. Or jealousy. Maybe it's not so much that we have to have that thing, but they can't have it. And that tension drives us. What I want to point out is we're all familiar with these motives. And somewhere in these motives is a lack of trust in God as our provider. There's a lack of contentment with the way God has provided for us or perhaps the timing in which he cares for us. So there are heart issues involved with theft even before or even if we haven't committed the actual theft. But the truth is our issue is much bigger than theft that can be prosecuted under law. You see, God instructs us to work so that we can be a blessing to others. Our motive in the second tablet of the law, the commandments 5 to 10, which is summarized by Jesus, is the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Rather than stealing, we are to work diligently so we'll have something we can share with our neighbor who's in need. Now, we read the ESV translation of Ephesians 4.28. I'd like to read for you from the new DGB translation of Ephesians 4.28. Let the stealing one no longer steal, but rather let him work hard, making something good with his own hands, that he might have something to share with the having need one. You see, I'm a little concerned about the word thief. Let the thief steal no longer. Because in our own psyche, I suspect that many of us would be indignant with the word thief. I'm not a thief. I've never stolen anything. And so this verse sounds like it's being taught to other people. You know, those thieves. Well, the word is simply the verbal noun of the word to steal, which is used in the second half of the sentence. The very word that says, thou shalt not steal. The word klepto, you'll recognize that from uh, kleptomania, right? The desire to, overwhelming desire to steal. So the phrase can be translated, let the stealing one no longer steal. And so the stealing one is the one who has found himself in a situation of stealing. How do you get to that point? Well, we've already looked at the reality that the heart of someone who's stealing is one overcome by desire, impatience, disrespect, jealousy. Who of us can acknowledge our innocence, can confirm our innocence for those things? But furthermore, the instruction actually goes farther as Paul interprets 
Exodus, he gives us two follow-up instructions. We must work hard to produce something good. And we must work hard so that we'll have something to share with the having need person. Again, the the translation of the the person in need, it's a fair translation, but that sounds like someone else. Oh, those people, the needy people. No, it's the person who has found himself in a situation where he's having a need. In other words, it's all of us at some time or another. So we work hard. There's an explicit command to work hard so that we'll have something to share with someone who is in need. This is corroborated by other passages. I'll read one from the Old Testament law and one from the New Testament. In Leviticus, which is a part of Leviticus, is explaining and expounding some of these commandments, of the, these very ten commandments. Leviticus 25, verse 35 says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Now what's fascinating about this verse is, It doesn't explain how he became poor. Maybe it was his own fault. Maybe he was lazy. It doesn't give us justification for denying the verse. It simply says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself, he shall live with you. The Bible. And then Paul in the New Testament in Philippians 2 verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is this verse only talking about emotional and psychological interests? Or is it also talking about material interests? In other words, the eighth commandment is not only teaching us to refrain from theft. It is teaching us to materially love our neighbor, particularly when he's in need. In other words, you can never violate the civil law and be completely innocent in a court of law of of theft yet completely violate the eighth commandment now some of us some part of us in our western free market economy resists this line of thinking i'll call this the capitalist's problem you see our free market economy is based on the fundamental right to private property And correspondingly, a law that defends, among other things, that private property. That means I am assured the right to own, control, and dispose of my assets. So when a Western free market person reads the Eighth Commandment, it affirms my value system. We read the commandment, presume it's designed to protect my own personal assets, and say, I love it. This is a great commandment. And I would say part of the reason capitalism works well is that it plays on human self-interest. If I work hard and the rewards I get, I get to keep and can control the rewards from my labor. Well, I'll be more motivated to work harder. That's why if you ask me on the economic side of things, I tend to think it's a better economic system. Now, in case you're wondering, I have lived in a former communist Marxist country where communist socialism was practiced. And if you're wondering, I'd be happy to point out the flaws of that system. But I don't think that's the primary audience in our congregation this evening. So again, I'd be happy to go into that. I'm not promoting an alternate theory. I'm simply addressing our own issues. 
So if we look at the eighth commandment and think about how to interpret it, are we interpreting it, interpreting it in light of Jesus' summary of the law to love your neighbor as yourself? In light of Paul's interpretation in Ephesians that we must work so we'll have something good to share with those in need. That's why we work. It's the basis of why we work and earn money. It's not optional. It's not extra. If you get a bonus, then you have something to share. We are to work so that we can bless others. Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 1, 1 to 3. In other words, if we only work for ourselves and for the benefit of our own family and our own clan, we break the eighth commandment. You see, I'm afraid when you think about how to interpret this commandment, that we've, as a society, moved into thinking of things in two categories, legal and illegal. That's the only two ways to look at things. And the problem with that is that society can't function with only those two categories. It will lead to an overwhelming number of court cases, which you might notice we've suffered from, we've experienced in our country. You see, what needs to govern the majority of our lives, of our legal lives, is the moral, ethical responsibility. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what should govern most of what we do. To give you an example, let's imagine I'm grilling steaks in my backyard. Big, large steaks in my backyard. My neighbor, recently unemployed because of the COVID crisis, is sitting out in the backyard with his family and they're all socially distant and all having that backyard visit. Now, I'm not legally obligated to share my dinner with my unemployed neighbor, but I should, I ought to. Or to give you another example, if a car breaks down on my street in front of my house at 5.30 p.m. on a Sunday night before the city serve worship service, and there's a woman under the car stained with oil and grease trying to fix her car. I'm not legally obligated to help her. This is a true story, by the way. You can ask me about that later. But I should. I'm morally obligated to see what I can do to help. You get the point? There's this whole area, really the majority of our lives, that we need to be thinking about what should we do. You can't get the officers of the law you can't get the courts involved to tell you what you should do but we should there's a divine ought we should do this for love of God voluntarily not under legal compulsion so how do we overcome the cultural and societal drive to work and save primarily for our own benefit that's what our society that's what our market system will push us towards How do we overcome that so we'll be able to share with others in need? Well, the first piece of good news I have is that in our church, there's quite a few people who have made a lot of progress in this area. There's quite a few people who live frugally, live responsibly, so that they can be very generous and share with people in need. There's a reason our church has a long history of sacrificial giving to those in need, both in our city and in our world. And so what I would encourage you to do is over the next month, 
take some time to find out who those people are and ask them how they got there. How did they think about their lives in such a way that they could give so generously? Now, if I were to name some of them, they'd be highly embarrassed. They don't do this so people will notice them. They do it because they've begun to understand who God is and they want to reflect that image by working hard so they'll have something to share with those in need. Another simple application I thought of was what I'm calling plus one. I don't know what your budget is and how big your family is. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's two people. Maybe it's three, four, five people. Well, however you work at your budget, just go plus one. When you buy groceries, buy a few extra. Maybe they should be non-perishable goods. When you buy clothes, either buy a few extra or set aside some money for some extra for your plus one. When you save for a vacation or for a big purchase, set aside an extra portion. Because the person having need rarely comes when you expected them. And I would dare say you might not recognize them. It might be the person you had in mind. (laughs) And then think about how you can share with them in a dignifying way. If they're in need of clothes, don't find your old leftover clothes and give it to them. Take them with you and together when you go shopping, buy something for yourself and say, what would you like? That's just like what I'm buying, right? The plus one concept, buy something for them, work hard so you have something to share with those in need. Likewise, with either food or uh, funds in general. You see, I think the heart of the eighth commandment comes from asking ourselves the question, not what can I take from my neighbor, but what can I give to my neighbor? It might also raise the question, which neighbors are we looking at, right? (laughs) Sometimes we're so focused on the neighbors who have more that we don't see the neighbors who are in need. And if you think about it, if we looked at how we could be a blessing to others, again, our biblical mandate, we might not be so tempted to steal to be jealous, to covet that which others have. And it might open our eyes to how we can serve those in our community. I believe if we look at the eighth commandment through the lens of who God is and some of the things God has done in our world, it might give us a better understanding of how to apply this commandment. God transforms our hearts so that we can be more like him when we give to others. First of all, let's remember that work is good. God created work for us to do, and it was part of who we were before sin entered the world. So work is actually part of our imitation of God. God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, and in a sense, we imitate God when we work. Jesus works because his father works. It's sin that produced the disconnect between work and reward, that produced the relational strain between labor and management and ownership. There are results of sin in that, but work itself is a way we can reflect God, our creative work to produce something good. So work hard to create something good so that you can share with others. Work is designed to be God's method by which you provide for yourselves, by which God provides for you. But it's also designed to be your method of being a blessing to others. Don't let 
Marxist literature, the kind that focuses on exploitation of the worker, or consumeristic literature, the kind that says you need to get this right now, shape your view of work. Let the Bible determine your view of work. And consider how God worked and his nature. God didn't have to create the world. He didn't have to create us. But he did. And as we saw, there's a way to view his creation as an act of work. Why did he do that? He did that so he could share his divine nature, his love and his mercy and his kindness with us. He worked to bless us. Think of how God provides for us daily. Not just once, but daily. We pray for our daily bread. Both externally and through the gifts he's given us. Why did Jesus heal the sick? He didn't just do it as a trick to reveal his divine nature. He healed the sick. He worked on their behalf because he loved them. He wanted to express his love and care for them. And he shared what he had, his power to bless them. Even consider Jesus' sacrifice, his work on the cross. Jesus worked to accomplish his mission so that we would be blessed by being restored to our relationship with God through his sacrifice. So we work so we can learn to imitate God and have something to share with those in need. And when we imitate God, it restores relationships and brings about uh, new opportunities with the people whom we serve. When we give like God, it's in a way that's respectful and thoughtful, not condescending. It respects the individual and the group that we're serving. It's done in a timely way, when they're in need, not six months later. And it opens the door for meaningful relationship because it's done in a way that doesn't produce indebtedness or superiority, but one that produces mutual respect and new opportunities for relationship. So tonight I want us to conclude by thinking, what can we do? What can we create? How can we work to have something to share with others? How can you provide for others in a dignifying and appropriate way? One that is mutually beneficial and creates new relationships. George Tolius, one of our Greek partners, he's a pastor and church planter in Athens, made the following comment when he was with us about the way their church serves refugees, Syrian and Afghan refugees who had come into Athens. He used the phrase, not in order to, but because of. And what he meant by that was, we serve refugees, not in order to convert them, but because of who God is, meaning loving and caring and blessing others, and because of who we are in Christ, that we want to be that same kind of blessing to others. Of course, such service opens the door for gospel conversations. But I love that thought that we serve not in order to accomplish something, but because of who God is and who we are in Christ. 
And ultimately, we think of Jesus, who worked and gave sacrificially, giving his life to be a blessing to others. The Eighth Commandment calls us to work hard so that we would have something to give. Every one of the Ten Commandments both exposes our own sin and points us to how redeemed people, those in Christ, follow, follow him. As we prepare tonight for communion, let us confess how we've all failed to obey this commandment. Let us thank God for the work he did on our behalf on the cross, that he gave us eternal life. And let us ask the Holy Spirit to transform us that we might be a blessing to others. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this instruction, not only not to steal, but also to work hard so that we might be a blessing to others. We ask you to forgive our self-centeredness, how we work hard to have things for ourselves and, and aren't so excited about sharing things with others. Forgive us for our sins. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and move in our hearts that we might seek out our neighbor in need, that we might look for them so that we might be able to share that which you've given us with them and in that way become more like you. We pray that you would renew us and transform us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.